sanctuary. For everyone else who's uh, staying with us, I'd invite you now to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book in your New Testament called the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 specifically is where we're going to be, uh, verses 6 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. If you have your own Bible, that would be great. If you don't have your own Bible, go ahead and grab a pew Bible in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 952. And if you don't have access to either of those, the text should be up on the screen. Uh, We have been in a series called Why Worry? And we've been talking about worry. Why should we not worry? Just a a bit of a quick review as you're finding your way to Philippians chapter 4. In the first part, we talked about uh, why we should not worry, and we looked at five reasons from the lips of Jesus himself as to why we should not worry. He gave us a ton of good reasons why not to worry. Then last week, what we looked at was we looked at some ramifications, some consequences, some results of worry in our life, and we looked at the story of Martha and the story of Mary, and we saw how worry, especially the kind of little worries that cause stress and anxiety, can cause us simply to miss our Savior. This morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and I've entitled this sermon, How to Win Against Worry. Uh, We're moving from some of the consequences and the results of worry to starting to think a little bit about how can we overcome this opponent in our life called worry. So that's where we're going to be this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at two simple verses, verses 6 and 7. There's a lot there, a lot of good stuff as we learn how to win against worry. So let's pray together, and then we'll dive right into the text. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for these people who have gathered to come and to worship you, who have come to hear from you, who have come to to be with fellow Christians and other believers in sweet fellowship and to give of their lives to you and to one another. Father, I do pray that you would be with us as we continue to talk about this subject that affects many of us. Father, many of us struggle with worry. We, uh, We worry about all sorts of things, things that have happened, things that will happen, things that may not happen, and we are full of anxiety anxiety and stress in our busy lives and in the, uh, the fearful world we live in. And yet your word has not left us uh, without help. You have given us clear directions and, and indications as to how we can battle this foe and how we can win against worry. And so help us now. Holy Spirit, come and speak to the, our hearts and, and our minds. I pray that, that our minds would be open to hear from you. I, pr- I pray that our wills would be soft so that we might be able to, to be changed by your Holy Spirit. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would speak through me clearly. Uh, help me to, 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 to say that which is true and to not say that which is false. And, and for, for all that we do, for our preaching and our, and our listening, may you be glorified. Uh, we want to win against worry, and so would you teach us how? We ask it in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Uh, before football games or basketball games or, or even baseball games, if you like to watch games on TV, oftentimes what the commentators uh, will have in the pregame show or the warm-ups will have uh, keys to the game is what they often are called. And so they may have three keys as to what the, the, the Chicago Cubs need to do to beat the St. Louis Cardinals. Probably more than three, right, Stan? Uh, probably ten keys, right? Uh, or, or maybe you're watching the Bulls against the Lakers or whatever it may be. There are often keys to the game, and that's merely the the announcers, their opinions as to what this particular team needs to do to get a victory that day, to win against their opponents. Uh, there was a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, 
there was a pretty big football game in college, and it involved my alma mater, Texas A&M. Uh, we played the num- thank you, bud. We played the number one ranked team then uh, in the nation, the undefeated Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, we certainly were underdogs in that endeavor. We were not expected to win, although I think people thought we would give them a good game. You know, I, I, I looked up that week the Bleacher Report. It's a website, the Bleacher Report. It's a sporting website. And uh, I just happened to come across some keys to the game for my alma mater beating the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'd like just to share them with you. Uh, Five keys to the game, according to the Bleacher Report. Number one, they said that we had to limit our turnovers. Well, we actually did that, and we had no turnovers uh, in the game. And number two, it said we had to control the Alabama running game because it was fierce, and they have two excellent running backs. Uh, at the end of the game, we held them to 122 yards rushing total, which is pretty good. Number three, it said that we had to have three uh, explosive offensive plays. Excuse me. We had to have an explosive offensive play every quarter, so four in the game. We certainly had that, if not more. Number four, they said we had to have solid special teams, no turnovers, good kicks and punts. We did okay. We didn't have any turnovers. We had one missed field goal, but all in all, that's pretty good. And then number five, and this was, I think, the key to the game, The Bleacher Report said that we had to get up on Alabama by two touchdowns. Well, at the end of the first quarter, we were up 21 to 0. So all that to say, A&M did all of the things necessary, all of the keys to the game to beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. So why do I share this with you? Simply to brag? Well, yes. But more than that, there is a point. And the point is simply this as it relates to us and worry. I think many of us oftentimes, we feel like underdogs against this undefeated opponent of worry. Or maybe in the plural, we feel like underdogs against the worries in our life. They oftentimes, I think, can feel not only undefeated in our life, but they can oftentimes feel undefeatable. And we can feel like underdogs going into that game. But this morning, what we're going to learn is that there are keys to the game to winning against the opponent of worry. Just like there are keys to any game, uh, in, in the game against worry, there are three keys that I have found in Philippians chapter 4, that if we follow these keys to the game, we too can pull off what is a major upset against these mammoth, undefeated sometimes, and oftentimes seemingly undefeatable worries in our life. And we too can be winning underdogs against our worry. So what are those three keys? Uh, Let's do this. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and we will see three keys to pulling a major upset against the worries that we face in our life. I'd like to do this. I'd like to read the couple verses. They're short. And then we'll look at the three keys to the game and see how we do. So let's read the text together. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6 and running through verse 7. Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is God's very word. And so that's our text this morning. What are the three keys to the game then? How can we win against our worry? Uh, Let's jot these down. The first key is found in verse six, and it's at the very beginning of the verse. And the first key is simply this. We need to realize that no worry is undefeatable. Paul, at the very outset of this battle against worry, he says you need to, to realize that there is no worry too big, that there is no worry, no matter how undefeated it is in your life, 
life that is undefeatable. Notice what he says at the very beginning of this verse. In verse 6, he says, do not be anxious. He begins with a simple command. Don't be anxious. You could simplify it and say, don't worry. That's essentially what Paul is saying. Don't worry. And so he begins with this simple command. But what does he mean by that? When you, when you look in the Greek, the word anxious simply is a word that describes a, a, a pulling or a tearing or a dividing. It's, a simply, it's essentially the word that means you're being pulled in two different directions. You're being divided. And so it speaks to this internal feeling that if you are a worrier or if you've ever felt worry, then it's the butterflies that show up in your stomach when you start to worry and you feel like your stomach is, is being pulled a little bit. You feel like your emotions are getting a little out of hand and you begin to, to churn in your mind the worries and you feel stressed. You feel pulled at. You feel divided. You feel, you feel tugged at. That's the idea here of worry. That's what he says. He says, don't, don't do that. I relate it to when I come home. I don't know if any of you fathers have this welcome or maybe have had this welcome, but when I get home from work, I have two young ones, and they oftentimes will greet me with a, a hearty, daddy, daddy's home, and they run from whatever it is that they're doing. It's, it's a marvelous thing. And, and I have uh, the older one who usually gets there first because, well, he's faster. And so he runs, and he takes a hold of this leg, and he grabs it, daddy. And then most of the time he says, let's go play, or let's do this, or let's do that. He has something that he's pulling me off to do. And then toddling along is my one-and-a-half-year-old, and she gets there later. And so she, da-da, she gets a hold of this leg, and she wants up on my lap, and she has an agenda for me too. And I oftentimes feel divided in that moment. I'm being tugged in two different directions. That's the idea of worry here. That's the idea of being anxious. We're just internally strained. So can you relate to that? Have you ever felt that way? Do you struggle with worry and what Paul says here is anxiety? I certainly have. I can relate to how that feels. And so he begins with a simple command, and he says, don't. (laughs) Simply don't worry. But that's not all he says, and it's very significant because he adds a phrase, do not be anxious about what, church? What does it say? Don't be anxious about anything. anything. Literally, it says nothing. In the Greek, it's it's the word for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. There's nothing that you should be anxious about. And so when I hear this text, I'm like, okay, Paul, you're telling me not to worry. You're telling me not to be anxious, but surely there are exceptions here. Surely there are situations in my life that merit worry. Surely there are things that I should feel anxious, this internal tearing. I should feel that way. I understand, Paul, most of the time I shouldn't be anxious, but you're telling me now there's nothing that I should feel that way about? That's exactly what he says. In the Greek construction, it's interesting. What you find out in English, there's the command, don't be anxious, and then it's filled out about anything. But in Greek, it begins with the word nothing. And so if you were to to read it in Paul's native, uh, uh, the language here that he's writing, it would literally, you would start verse six, and it would say something like this, nothing, there is nothing that you should be anxious about. He puts it at the very front because he wants us to know the simple truth that there is no worry that is too big to overcome. There's no worry, no circumstance, no event that we must, that we must worry about. Sure, there are things that we can and we do worry about, but Paul says there's nothing that should cause you to worry. Nothing should make you worry. To put it another way, 
To put it another way, no worry is undefeatable. Not undefeated, but undefeatable. No worry is undefeatable. And so I want to ask you this question. Do you, Christian, do you really believe that? Do you really believe the words of the Bible that there is absolutely no circumstance, no worry that is undefeatable in your life? Now, there are probably things in your life that you feel like are undefeated. There is an opponent of worry. There's a circumstance. There's a situation. And you always lose. You feel like when you come up against it, you always lose. Maybe it's financial insecurity or a job loss, or money is tight. Maybe you have this gripping fear of losing a loved one and you can't deal with that. Maybe it's a fear that your marriage will soon fall apart and it consumes you, and to you, maybe practically speaking, it's undefeated. You've come up against it time and time again and you've found yourself defeated. You've found yourself worried. You've found yourself anxious, which Paul says not to do. But we have to start with this realization that Paul begins with, that It's not. It may be undefeated, but it's not undefeatable. And there's a difference there. Paul wants us to go go into this fight to realize that we can win. Does that make sense? You have to go into your worry battle thinking and realizing that I can win this. I guarantee uh, Texas A&M head coach, uh, his last name is Sumlin, Coach Sumlin, I guarantee you when he gave the pep talk before uh, his Aggies played against the then undefeated Alabama, I guarantee you it didn't go something like this. Well, guys, we are a good team, and they're pretty good too. In fact, they have never lost this season, so they're not going to lose now. Let's go out. Let's give it our best shot. Let's look good on the cameras. Let's not get embarrassed, but just play your heart out, but, you know, we're not going to win. That's not what he said, or he should be fired, right? What he, what he says is, listen, guys, they've never lost, but we can win. They're, they may be undefeated, but they're not undefeatable. They can be defeated. And Paul starts with this first key to the game in our fight against worry. He says, listen, we have to realize, too, that regardless of what we're facing, regardless of the scenario, regardless of how much we want to be anxious about it, We can win. (laughs) There is a way to win, and no worry is undefeatable. And so then that leads us then to the second key of the game. If then no worry is undefeatable, well, how do we go about winning? What's the strategy? We go into it with that mindset, but practically speaking, how do we how do we win? Well, Paul tells us in key number two, and that's found in the latter half of verse six, and it's simply this. This is key number two. Write this down if you're taking notes. We must replace worry with prayer. We must replace our anxiety with petition, with prayer. That's that's the big move here. That's the thing that Paul tells us to do. So let's read verse 6 again, and and hopefully you'll see this this progression. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, okay, we get that. we, We don't have to worry. Don't be anxious about anything, but, there's a contrast, but in every situation, notice the contrast, anything in every situation. We don't have to worry about anything because we can pray about everything, right? That's what he's saying. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so it's not enough for Paul simply to tell us as Christians, stop worrying. It's not enough for him just to say, don't do it. Because if you're a worrier or if you've ever had anxiety problems or even just the everyday stress of of life that causes us to be fretful and worried, worrisome and, and, and anxious. If you've faced that, you know it's not enough just to tell yourself, self, don't do it. Don't worry. 
that doesn't work. At least it doesn't work for me, and I don't think it works for you, because what we have to do is we have to place the act, we have to replace the activity of worry with another activity. We have to place, replace the activity of anxiety with the activity of prayer, and that's exactly what Paul does here. There's a clip that I want to show, and so I'm going to ask the guys uh, to cue it up. It's a Bob Newhart clip. I don't know if you know or like Bob Newhart, but it's a short clip, and uh, it, it illustrates the, the fact here that it's not, it's not good enough just to tell someone to stop doing something. It has to be replaced with something else, and I think this comes through clearly and hopefully comically in this short clip. Let's watch it together. Go. Oh, tell what? me. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but... Truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. <laughs> so what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So, so I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> New word, IT. <laughs> so, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> <laughs> then stop it. <laughs> I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. We, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well. <laughs> okay. So hopefully none of you are frightened of being buried alive in a box. If you are, my apologies. Uh, but that's a simple illustration for the fact that if you were to go to a counselor and, and share your problem, and they were to say, just stop doing it, well, you would kind of be left with wanting. Paul doesn't do that. What he says is we need to stop worrying by praying. That's, that's the key. We need to pray. One commentator by the name of uh, Kenneth Krell, I think he says it insightfully, he says you can either pray or worry, but you can't pray and worry. Did you get that? You can pray or worry, but you can't pray and worry. And that gets to the fact that prayer is meant to replace worry in our life. So, so notice, 
Notice some of the words that he uses for prayer. He uses three terms here to talk about prayer, and his point is simply that, don't worry, pray about it. But in every situation, you know what that tells me? That tells me that there's no situation too big, and there's no situation too small for me to pray about. So if you're feeling anxious about something that is trite and minimalistic, pray about it. If you're worried about something that is huge and has large implications for your life, what Paul says is that you can pray about it. Pray about it. He says, by prayer, which is a general term for for talking to God. It's a general term for speaking to God. So, by prayer and petition. Petition is a general term for asking God for stuff. So we go to God and communicating with him, and we ask him for things, and then notice this little phrase, He says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Oh, that's important, isn't it? Because oftentimes we go to God and we have requests, uh, but our heart is not very thankful. Here the idea is that with thanksgiving that God is sovereign, with thanksgiving that God is good, with thanksgiving that we can trust in him in whatever way he answers. So prayer, petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, we should present our requests. There's the third word. It's a more specific word, meaning that we ask God to fix something. We ask God to intervene in a particular way. It talks about specifics of asking God. So practically speaking, this is what this looks like, I think, in my life and in your life. The moment that we begin to feel this internal anxiety, the minute we begin to feel that our heart and our emotions are my, and, our, and our mind are being divided, the minute we start to worry is the minute we need to start praying. We need to start praying immediately. And what Paul says is that we should begin to start requesting God's intervention in whatever it is that we're worrying about. Do you see that? That's what we do. We pray about what it is that we are worrying about. So if you are worried about your kids, they're out late, they're on a tour, uh, they're playing basketball, whatever it is, you're worried about your kids' safety in that moment, right then you start praying and you start asking God for their safety. You start asking God, for his provision and his gracious protection over their life. In that minute, you start to pray. If you are worried about your job, if you're worried about finances, the minute you begin to worry about it, stop worrying and start praying and ask God to provide and to meet your needs and to work out the scenario, whatever it is, maybe at work, uh, maybe the stock market, whatever it is, you start to pray. Maybe you're worried about a decision. It's an important decision, and it's looming, and you're anxious about it. In that moment, when you start to feel worried, you stop, and you ask God for wisdom, and for direction, and for leadership. The more we pray, the less we will worry. And so, we've seen a couple keys to the game. We've seen the attitude that we must go into the fight with. We must realize that that no worry is undefeatable. And second, we need to replace our worry with prayer all the time. That is how we win. But then there's a third key, and it's a good key, and it's this. We move into verse 7, and we find the third key to the game is this. We must count on God's peace to protect. We must count that God's peace will come into our hearts, will come into our lives, will replace the anxiety and 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 the fear that we have, and that we will count on God's peace to protect us. This is the consequence. This is the result. If we follow key number one, if we follow key number two, what will be the consequence? What will be the result? Well, Paul tells us in verse seven, and it's peace. It's a peace that we can count on. It's a peace that is God's promise. This is one of, for me personally, because I I tend to struggle with anxiety and worry, this is one of the most precious promises and the most practical promises that, that I've experienced in God's word. We can count on God's peace to protect us. Notice what he says in verse seven, and the peace of God, 
That's the result. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which I take it to mean that it's hard to believe that we can have peace in that kind of circumstance, but we can. It's, it's beyond what we can even imagine. It's that good. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, what will it do? What will this peace do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we can count on this peace. This is an experiential peace, and so it's hard to describe. It's hard to define. It's not the peace that we have with God through faith in Christ to where we were enemies with God, uh, we were, we were uh, at war against him, and we were made right through the cross. That's a, that's a legal peace. We're talking about a, f- a feeling, an emotion, uh, uh, an experience that a Christian can have, the peace that is from God. It's not peace from conflict, it's peace in the midst of conflict, right? It's that kind of experiential peace. And if you are Christian, and if you've ever gone through this passage and prayed through it in your mind when you're anxious and when you're worried, you have, to one degree or the next, experienced this kind of peace, and you know what I'm talking about. Now, it may come, it it may go, you may have to pray often, but this is, I think, a reality and a wonderful promise. But notice Notice what it'll do. Paul, Paul uses some imagery here that, will be, that would be very familiar to his audience there in Philippi. He says that when that peace comes, it kind of kicks out anxiety, and it acts as our guard. It is our guard. It guards our heart, and it guards our mind. The, the word literally there in Greek is a word that describes a, a set or a series of soldiers who guarded a Roman fort or who guarded a Roman city. That was the word. It was used to describe guys, soldiers, who stood at watch at the gate or the entrance of a city to make sure that unwanted company from the outside could not penetrate the city and harm them. That's the word that was being used, and it was significant because in Philippi, it was a Roman city. And what that means was that it was one of the cities in the Roman world, so to speak, that actually had Roman soldiers stationed there, and it had a garrison, and so literally the the Philippians could walk around their city and see these guards posted all around the city, and their job was to protect things from, uh, from coming inside that were not wanted. And so Paul uses this imagery, and he says, listen, this peace of God, if we realize that it's not undefeatable, if we replace our worry with our prayers, then God's going to give us this peace, but this peace will do something. It will be like a Roman guard, and it will protect us from the fears and the anxiousness and the worries that want to come back into our lives. They want to gain access to our hearts and our minds and our our wills, and this kind of peace that God promises stands guard and says, no, (laughs) you can't come in. It's a wonderful image that he uses. One commentator by the name of Herrick says it this way. I I, I like how he says it. He says, peace here is personified as as a Roman sentry or a Roman soldier. He says, it will take up station at the door of your heart and your mind. It will forbid your enemies to enter. It will cast down worries, persistent naggings, and turn aside the onslaught of its fiery darts. And for those of us who struggle with fear and with anxiety, is it not our hearts and our minds that need protecting? I mean, is it not our hearts, our emotions, that is our our frustrations, our fears, our anxieties, our nerves, our fretting, isn't that what we need protection 
from? Isn't that what we need protection over? And isn't it our minds that need to be guarded? The, the minds that think about all of the what-ifs, our minds that think about all of the could-bes, and our minds that think about the worst possible outcomes. This is what we will be protected from. Our hearts and our minds will be guarded by this peace that we can count on. It's a marvelous promise. Before we close, I want to point out one other thing, and that this peace, this peace of God that, traces, uh, that, that tr- 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 transgresses, that's not the word, which transcends, there we go, peace of God which transcends all understanding, it's a specific kind of peace. It's not just made available to anyone and everyone. Notice this very last phrase in this text. It's important. The peace of God, it passes all uh, understanding, will guard your heart and minds in what, church? In Christ Jesus. Now, what that tells us is that this is available to people who are Christians. What that means is that this peace isn't just for anyone. It doesn't just come to anybody out there, but it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's for those who have been born again. It's for those who have placed their faith, their personal faith, in what Christ has done for them. It's for those who have come to the point where they realize that God exists and that we are not him, that we've come to the point to where God is holy and separate and we fall short of that standard. The Bible calls it sin. It's for people who come to that point who realize that there is nothing that they can do in and of themselves to make themselves right with God. They can't be good enough. They can't work hard enough. They can't be right enough. They can't merit it. They can't earn it. They come to the end of their rope and they look towards God for a safety net, for help. And what they realize is that God sent help in the person of his son and that this person, this Christ, Christ Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father. That's what we needed. That's what God demands. And no human has ever done that except for Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly before God the Father for us in our place. But not only did he do that, the Bible tells us that this same Christ Jesus died for our sins. That is, he paid the price. He bore the wrath and the judgment and the hell and the fury that we deserved on our behalf on the cross and that he rose again to, to, to verify, to show the world that he did that and that we come to the place to where we accept this wonderful gift as a free gift and we take it into ourselves. The Bible calls it faith, believing, receiving, accepting. It's a decision that we make and we accept this work of Christ for us and we are born again. We become Christians and the Bible says at that point that we become in Christ. And so as we wrap up here, I want to ask, have you ever had that kind of experience? Because we're talking about worry and how it's, it's not undefeatable and how we need to replace it by prayer. And those are good principles, but those principles don't apply to you if you're not a Christian. You can't claim this promise of God's peace that will protect if you're not born again, if you're not a Christian. And so if you've not done that, if you have questions about that, if you want to know about how to do that, then please, 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 when we're done, come and see me, talk to somebody you trust, and they can share with you how you can simply receive Christ by faith and enter into this wonderful promise of peace. And so wrapping up, do you feel like an underdog this morning? Do you feel like an underdog team in the SEC going up against the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, the the undefeated team, last year's national champions? Do you feel like you're facing that kind of worry or those kind of worries? I think oftentimes we all feel like underdogs against our worries. Do they seem not only undefeated, but quite frankly, 
undefeatable in your life? If so, then take heart. What we have is some keys to the game. Paul and God through Paul has given us three keys to the game. These are wonderful keys, and if we do these, if we follow these, if we place our faith in Christ, and then if we realize that, man, there's no worry out there that is undefeatable, if we then replace our our worries with prayer, and if we count on God's peace to protect us, then we too can experience a major upset. We too can win against undefeated, but not undefeatable worries in our life. And it's my prayer that as we go about facing those, that we will win. Let's pray together.